When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, senior writer at Rolling Stone, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Uh, I also have uh, Nathan Brackett here from Rolling Stone. What's up, Brian? Week two. <laughs> week. This is uh, week two of our, our of our live show here on uh, Sirius XM, uh, and uh, we have uh, again some really great guests today. Uh, you know, the, the um, TV soundtracks, TV scores and soundtracks is not something I've given a lot of thought to. I can't remember the last one that jumped out at me. Do you remember the last one that jumped? Cop Rock, uh, right? Maybe Cop Rock. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I, you know, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing, you know, right, right. nothing. Well, well, the OC, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was, uh, but, but uh, you know, Luke Cage, uh, which is a show that debuted not long ago on Netflix um, from Marvel, uh, has one of the greatest scores and also soundtracks original music and existing music that i've just ever heard on a tv show this one is super special yeah just, and, yeah. and it, it it creates a whole world and it creates this this world of a of a superhero in harlem and uh we have uh with us today the people behind that music uh adrian young uh, an amazing producer and ali shaheed muhammad uh of tribal quest and many other things and they collaborated and made this music and, and we're so happy to have them you there guys yeah. Hey, what hey are you guys. Doing? How you doing? Up, Thanks so much for being here. We're in New York and, and they're in LA, so we cannot actually see them. But it sounds like we're all in the same place, hopefully. So that's good. The magic. We're supposed radio. to fake. We're supposed to fake it though. You just <laughs> oh messed up man, the we didn't get the memo. We're like <laughs> print guys. Oh, we didn't get that. Oh damn. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. No, no, no. I don't believe in faking. I think we. I think we have to be real. All right, transparency. Full transparency. We're super excited to have you guys. I right, so if we're gonna be real, uh, I'm actually in the bathroom on my phone. Oh no! no I'm just Too kidding. Real. Too real. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 that, we've gone too far. Um, so, you know, we have so much to talk about uh, about the amazing music on the show and about each of your careers. I, I do, I, but there is breaking news, and I wish we had sort of like a breaking news bell to ring. Um, but uh, you know, Ali, you know, obviously last night it was announced that there is going to be a new Tribe Called Quest album. Yeah, this is we. Yeah. We just got to get this out of the way and talk about this for a, for a little bit. I was bit. hoping you'd save that to the very very end, but yes, <laughs> announcement has been made. And uh, and basically, we, we figured we flip it. We will get it out of the way, you know, just very quickly and just you know within the limits of uh, of our time here. Just how did this come together? What 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 should we expect from it? Uh, how much of of, of of Fife were we able to get on this album? What what's the deal? Oh, man, you know, I really wasn't prepared to talk about this, but I will say, <laughs> as Q-Tip had posted in his handwritten note that uh, a year ago, nearly a year ago, we performed on the Fallon show, and um, he felt the way about the performance that inspired him to want to do another record, and that night he uh, called us up and said, come could you stay in New York a little while longer? And uh, I have this idea. And so I could not because I was working on Luke Cage. Mm. And But um, 
definitely uh, inspired Fife to stick around. And um, yeah, there's quite a deal of Fife Dog on there. That's incredible. It's a new Tribe Called Quest record. You know, people have been asking for it for a long time. And, uh, there were point, many points in times when we didn't think it would happen, but uh, it, you will have it November 11th. Uh, that's amazing news. And this is the first one in 18 years? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I had to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing crazy. news. It is we can't crazy. wait to hear it. This is calmly. You guys have broken the news because I don't know who Q-Tip has spoken with about it, but yeah, this is the first time I've been talking about it. He posted that note last night. And, yeah. And, and yeah. Everyone's so, been asking me in, in the Luke Cage campaign about it, and I just would yeah, not talk about it. I know. It. You so couldn't talk go, about Brian it. Here you go, Brian yeah, and yeah, yeah. Boom. <laughs> we had to ambush you on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. We well, had no choice. We figured it was cool now that it was announced, but you know, and, and maybe we'll return to that very briefly at the end, but so Luke Cage. You guys were working on another project together. It's called Midnight Hour, correct? Yeah. And what was the what was the deal with that? And that preceded uh, Luke Cage, I believe. Well, um, Ali Ali had worked with me and Souls of Mischief on an album that we created a few years back called There's Only Now. Hmm. And um, you know, I enjoyed working with Ali so much, and you know, I've always been a fan of of, of his works. That I was like, let's let's. If, if if we had this much fun doing this project, let's just do something brand new. So we started the project and um, we started the project and, uh, you know, we worked on some other things. And then while we were wrapping up the project, we got the opportunity to potentially score this upcoming black comic television series called Luke Cage. And, um, it was one of those things that was just so good, like too good to be true, <laughs> that uh, we both said, basically, if this actually comes into fruition, we got to put this album on hold. And it came into fruition and we put the album on hold and uh, we just picked the album up again <laughs> just to start finishing. And uh, that'll be ready for the top of next year. Yeah, I mean, you there's a track on the uh, Kendrick Lamar album, uh, Untitled mm. Six, that mm-hmm. was actually supposed to be a track on Midnight Hour and still will be with CeeLo, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Kendrick uh, caught wind of what we were doing and really liked that song. So so on Kendrick's album, he is uh, using the demo version to create a whole full new derivative song. And uh, unbeknownst to him, we had actually finished the entire song. So... There's going to be basically two versions of uh, this song, which is called Untitled Six on there, but the original title is actually Question Marks. <laughs> so we're really looking forward to having people hear that. Um, nice. should be special. Nice. Actually, let's let's uh, listen to the Kendrick song for one second. These metamorphic supernatural forces dominate what I see. Gemini duality personalities always conflicted. Man, that uh, <laughs> I, I wish we could listen to the whole thing. It's it, it, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you guys, uh, so one of the many interesting things about Luke Cage is that the showrunner has his own background as a music writer. Uh, talk about yeah, we your, know we know Teo Kelly. He was a former Rolling Stone contributor. Now probably yeah. doing a little better monetarily than some <laughs> of our contributors of record reviews. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, he, he called you guys separately, right? Yes. He yeah. reached out to us separately. And first, I just want to say, let that be an incentive to all you other um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for the pep talk. Contributors yeah. and, and journalists out there to be you. He is our superhero. He is our little <laughs> yeah. It's same for us as well, indeed. But Cheo, I've known Cheo for a long time. And he reached out to uh, me uh, for Luke Cage, and he reached out to Adrian as well. And uh, like we mentioned before, we were working together on the Midnight Hour, so it was pretty dope that um, that's what he wanted for this series, is to merge our sounds together. And um, so we met with Cheo, we met with the heads of Marvel Hmm. Television, and we had a job interview. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, probably but, something you uh, haven't had to do a lot of in your career yeah. oh yeah no nah, you always have to have i mean yeah the yeah, get together yeah. yeah the get together absolutely and so uh he he told us what he wanted and we gave him our thoughts on how we could make his initial idea more sensational and part of that was to record with a 30-piece orchestra mm. um and so we composed our music and then we give it to our orchestrator and conductor, Miguel Atwood Ferguson. And um, that's that's pretty much how it all came together. So how, did he, how did he define his original concept for the music of the show? <clears throat> um, Hip hop based. Uh, it was kind of a back and forth between an era, you know, like mid 90s sort of golden era age of hip-hop and sound um but mostly just something that uh kind of came from the breakbeat part of hip-hop when everyone was sampling and mm. doing breaks before it became super computery and electronic-y um but just going back to the source music of like certain jazz and funk and soul records and so um but maintaining that that head nod thump sort of a uh, melodic um, hypnotizing aspect that hip-hop tends to have mm. and you, you guys definitely delivered like the hip-hop element but as you were saying like the stuff that the real source material stuff that you guys deliver like the the some of the black exploitation era stuff or stuff that recalls like Ennio Morricone is just amazing I mean this is just am- I can't like overstate like how cool like some of this this soundtrack music is like this is just like an album you can actually the score you can is an album you can just like put on yeah well actually let's play the uh, the opening theme it's just the one that's called theme Alex <laughs> You know, I'm feeling bulletproof already, but but so how? <laughs> <laughs> but so I mean that that's obviously it's a, such a short piece of music, but it has to accomplish so much. So how again? How mm-hmm. how did you kind of get to there? Well, that was actually our third take at the theme, uh, and uh, our second take at the theme is actually the song you hear that is called the end theme. Mm, yeah. So um, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but that end theme. Uh, there was a big fight as to whether the end theme is going to be the actual theme for the show. So uh, there was one side that loved the what what is now called the theme, and one side that loved 
uh, what is now called the end theme. Should we and play the end yeah, theme? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's play the end theme, which I had ready too, because it's funny. I was gonna. I kind of. I, I think I almost like the end theme even better. So let's, oh! let's hear that. <laughs> let's hear that. Set it off. <laughs> <laughs> That is just some crazy, like, Isaac <laughs> Hayes, like, hot buttered soul. Yeah. Like, that is awesome. So, well, the end, the end theme, um, so like I said, there was there were two camps, and uh, because, I, I guess, uh, the teams reached a point of impasse, just one was chosen as the first theme, and one was chosen as the end theme. But as far as the end theme, uh, musically, you know, I personally like the end theme better than the first. I love the first theme. I love, I love it all. But the, the end theme... Um, it's it's taking more of a chance mm. because if you listen to theme songs, um, a lot of times it's there's a request for the song to be faster because it is generally thought that if a song is faster, it's more impactful if the tempo's faster. Huh. But that's really not true. Um, when you could have a song that just hits in a certain way and moves uh, through chords, it kind of takes the, the the listener on a journey uh, and. Uh, that's maybe why the the end theme resonates with you a little bit more because it mm-hmm. resonates with me a little bit more on just well, musically, but uh, but nevertheless, I mean, I'm still a fan of the of the, of the theme, you know. But the, uh, the the main theme, I think, one of the things when I first heard it and the wow wow guitars came in, I was like, huh, that's I was like, that's a little on the nose, a little like a direct black exploitation kind of reference, but I love it. <laughs> so I don't know what you're thinking. Well, what, wasn't that? You know, you know what's crazy, um, and this is something that that I that I say a lot. Uh, a lot of people, when they listen to this, they think of it as uh, they get black exploitation out of it, right? Right. But the reason why a lot of people get black exploitation out of it is that you don't hear a lot of unapologetically black music being uh, used as score for television and or film right now that's played with an orchestra and with live instruments. So point. the last time, the last time there was a genre uh, of, of uh, that kind of music being used to enhance the visual is during the seventies. That's the last time. But if you listen to a lot of modern music, um, whether it's uh, black, white, whatever, there's wah wah guitars all over it. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. But the thing is, because you're not used to hearing it, you automatically think black exploitation, which is actually true. But but it just shows that there is a void of this type of uh, soulful music being heard because it's something that is uh, if you're going like waka 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 <laughs> that's something that really really is a '70s thing. Yeah. But just using wah when you're playing like a lead and all that stuff, that's all. That's in rock. That's in everything. Totally. But totally. you don't hear it. You don't hear it soulfully like this, and and it just automatically takes you back. Uh, that time and, and I would be just like you if I heard that if I heard this too I would say the same thing so totally uh, but it's just something to note no I think that's important um, and we're gonna be we're gonna take a break and we're gonna be uh, right back with Ali Shaheed Muhammad and Adrian Young talking about the amazing music of Luke Cage this is Rolling Stone Music Now Seeking the Truth Never Gets Old Introducing June's Journey the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So guys, I mean, in general, we were just talking about influences. I mean, what, what were... And it, it, what were some of the influences that you were drawing on to, to create this very specific world of music for the show? Um, we were drawing on the likes of Wu-Tang, um, uh, Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, Ennio Marconi, um, Bernard Herman, hmm. um, um, Marvin Gaye, James Brown, um, a lot of different artists. And it seems like there was an overall idea I've seen in other interviews. You really wanted to embrace the idea of this is, you've called the music unapologetically black. You were trying to remind people of what could be done in the context of scoring in a black musical context, full, which has been done before but isn't done enough. That was definitely something on your mind, it sounds like. Well, definitely for... Our, well, there's a couple of things. In television, as you mentioned earlier, and not really recalling a television score that you think of that you cared about. When you said that, I instantly thought of Hawaii Five-0, good times. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely right. the 70s era. Um, mm. Things seem to be more musical. Um, and nowadays, there's a tendency to have things be very synthetic and atmospheric uh, to support emotion and the feeling and the movement of what's seen on the screen and we wanted to make a statement that uh especially because Chea wanted it to have such a hip-hop flair um we wanted it to be that but also great composition to be as you said earlier something that you can listen independently of the the series but not you know, not with the intention of make that departure, but just to have the music to be that good, mm. which which means, um, you know, thinking more about it and not being so simple as to dial up a template of something that's tension based and which is a tendency to happen. If you listen to a lot of television shows, there's <laughs> there's a lot of similarities in the background music. And so we wanted it to really the music to lead the emotion or help to support the emotion in a way that people are have not been doing for a long time. I wanted to ask about Requiem for Fife, um, which obviously, uh, you know, worked in the context of the show in a very powerful way, I think episode eight, and then obviously has uh, another very powerful meaning, and it's also a, a very beautiful piece of music. How did that, the idea to be able to get that in and, and the actual composition of that piece work? Um, I had received a text message from Fife while we were recording the orchestra for, um, I think it was episode six and seven. And um, r just right after that, we had to go into 
um, scoring episode eight. And there's a particular scene um, in that episode that has a mournful feel to it. And I'm not going to give away the scene. No spoilers. But, um, um, but for those who've seen it, or if you will see it, you'll understand. And so when we actually recorded this, the orchestra for that, that piece was the, the night before Fife passed. Wow. I mean, the night after Fife passed. And so um, it was our orchestra days are, are pretty fun because we have a lot of people that come in and we want people to feel the, the experience of hearing strings and, and brass and woodwinds. It's, it's, a, it's such an experience. And so we have a lot of people come in the studio. And that particular day, I was just kind of in and out, um, just a lot going through my head after, you know, just dealing with the news that my brother was no longer here. Yeah. And uh, when I walked into the room, they were actually cutting to that song and the entire room just had this feeling. And that tended, that, that was all, always the case with the orchestra days, but that one in particular, and then it dawned on me um, what scene it was. Because often Adrian and I are working at such a, a fast pace. We write something and we kind of forget where it goes to, what part it mm. goes to and so instantly it it hit me which scene that was and it just seemed like he was talking to me wow let's hear a little bit of that wow that is a, is a beautiful and intense piece of music the, the um on on the other end of things, you, Adrian, was it was it your joint responsibility to for the the existing music, the the existing hip hop and other music that that was played in the show? You were the music supervisor. Is that how that worked? No, um, <clears throat> we were the composers. There's uh, Netflix create one of the first v- promo videos uh, dealing with the music of the show had us erroneously listed as music supervisors. <laughs> That's why I think that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because <laughs> that, that came out, well, that came out and then, you know, we saw it and I didn't even notice it. Right. And then, uh, I bet the, the music supervisor noticed it though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, so then we're, uh, I'm seeing a bunch of articles pop up and we're called music supervisor. I'm like, man, these people are bad journalists. <laughs> They're not even doing their, their due diligence. <laughs> and, then, and then we realized that there was a mistake of a, be, us being listed as music supervisors. So the actual music supervisors on the show uh, were Season Kent and Gabe Hilfer, and they did a, one hell of a job uh, picking the music along with Cheo Coker, who's the, the showrunner, right. as we spoke of earlier. So they all pretty much combined as a team to pick all the needle drops and uh, to help, you know, just illuminate the world of Luke Cage through music. It's, I, I think people are ready to believe that you guys supervised it because it, it all, it all flows so seamlessly, but I just mean that everyone did their job. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Team and before, before we go into a break, I, you know, the, the, uh, one of the cool original songs was Bulletproof Love, uh, which you guys did work on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How did, how did that come together? Um, Cheo, Throughout the, the, the series, he has um, featured guest artists. So there's Raphael Sadiq, there's Charles um, Brightly, there's uh, Sharon Jones, Faith Evans, um, uh, Jordana, who else? Um, 
ton of people. Yeah. Ton of people to Delphonics. And so, uh, he specifically wanted, it, it's funny. He had, he has such a wish list on certain aspects of the show. And one of them was to get somebody in from a woo. And, um, <laughs> so he had this idea about method man and it was supposed to feature method man, uh, as experiencing and interacting with Luke. And so, uh, then he comes and does the sway show <laughs> and, uh, rhymes about, I guess, you know, freestyle about what happened. Yeah. So, it, yeah. We, we created the song. It's cool. I mean, it, it's good to know that both, uh, both sway and meth man exist in the Marvel universe. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> fact to know. So guys, I want to talk a little bit about your, the development of, of your styles. Uh, Ali, I mean, tribe when the the very unique and now sort of historic and iconic and important style of production that you had on those records how, how did it come together what what were the what were the influences and what what felt fresh to you at that time um well certainly not doing with what other people were doing and we had a lot of respect for like the bomb squad yeah. You know, um, the Bomb Squad's style of production, they mashed up a lot of little bit itty bitty sounds and captured a lot of just different breaks and pieces and and made this crazy mashup composition of greatness. Um, and then for a lot of other songs that at that time was just a lot of James Brown samples and <laughs> um I think a lot of things that you would definitely absolutely find in your parents' record collection. Um, but Q-Tip's dad uh, introduced him to jazz and Tip introduced me to jazz music. And um, not the cool jazz of the time of the 80s, but, you know, the more straight stuff of the 60s and 70s. And... Um, just I guess you know just digging in the crates from that perspective and and really loving um, the open breaks that you would find on the jazz records it was different than the funk breaks and the soul breaks um, they were very melodic and so um, and the music moved you know yeah. just even though if even if it was a, a simple four bar loop it just felt like it had movement and um, and the way that the Bomb Squad would layer uh, sounds that uh, became musical, or more rhythmic, I should say. Not right. Music, rhythmic. It's sort of noise, um, percussion kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we layered other uh, clips or samples, pieces of one jazz record and put it on top of another so that there could be a you know, like um, like the Benita Applebaum, for example, that one particular record, that one loop goes on and on. But then what makes the record interesting is the sitar that comes out of nowhere, which is not part of that original song that we sampled. So it's just doing things like that. And it, it hadn't really be, been done at the time. And so it was fresh, I guess. And people still love it. Yeah, and Adrian, it was a major influence on you. Low End Theory was one of the most uh, important albums for you, I believe. Absolutely. Um, 
it i i always tell uh ali and that you know tribe introduced me to jazz tribe really made me appreciate and love jazz and um and also that album is one of the first to to serve as a, as as a seminal example of how to intertwine samples with real musical composition not just merely arrangement and production because they used instruments with the samples they blended samples in ways that uh, were in key and this was something that was brand new and they also with this album showed us all a, a new way to reinterpret the, the, the bottom end the low end of the musical spectrum as far as hip hop is concerned. So it definitely in, inspired me and you and you you could hear that stuff in my music, you could hear that stuff on the Luke Cage soundtrack as far as the 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 root of inspiration. I think we might And have to- it's not just it's not just me. I, I always tell people that uh you know, with all my affiliations in hip hop, uh to me tribe is is still my favorite. Mm. I think we might have to listen to a little bit of uh, Low End Theory. Should we put on a little bit? 1988, senior year at Garby High. Where all the guys were corny, but the girls were mad fly. Lounging with the tipster, cooling with shop. Scoping out the honeys. They know who they are. Man, Thing, things really do go in cycles because we're, we're hearing jazz as a major part of hip-hop again in the last couple of years, which is incredible. And quite frankly, I never never thought we'd get back there. So that's, that, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. Like with Kendrick Lamar's exactly. album, you know, with Robert Glasper, who was a jazz artist who was influenced by hip-hop and, and Dilla and how he brought it around, you know. so definitely. And Kamasi Washington. Of course, Kamasi you know, good, Washington. Yeah. Um, Terrace Martin. Yeah. But uh, Adrian, I, I understand that you're—you've said that you actually—it's kind of funny because you're you're, produ- you're producing hip hop um, in the last few years. It, it, but you—you've said that you kind of stopped listening to hip hop around 1998. What, is, what do you? I'm sure that's not literal. Perhaps not literally true. But what do you mean when you say that, and why? Well, I'm somebody that is uh, an avid member of of what I define as a hip hop culture and an and that raised me now uh i I always tell people that i actually left hip-hop in 97 because to me that's what that's around the time when the music didn't reflect the 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 culture as much um the music tended to at that time started to become a lot more pop oriented Mm mm-hmm and um, it was just not made for the B-boys and the B-girls. Or let me rephrase. The vantage point of making music for the underground and the culture and the culture of people that um, speak the same vernacular, have the same feelings. Uh, you know, those decades to me were coming to an end in 97. And this is with the advent of uh, hip hop really getting into R&B and changing what R&B is and, and uh-huh. vice versa. And the radio starting to accept hip hop a lot more, which is not bad. That's actually really great. But the, but what it did was uh, really created to me uh, a really uh, uncultivated market of rap music that was just around to try to make people dance. And uh, hmm. so uh, 
you know, from 97 to now, obviously there's a lot of great hip hop still being made, but a lot of that hip hop is not stuff you really hear on the radio. It's stuff you have to actually search and, and, uh, and, and, and find in the underground, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But at that time also is when I really got into just, uh, DJing and listening to old breaks and records and, I also discovered that those records meant more to me than the hip hop derivatives that were made mm. from sampling these records. What, what so kind of, my did, mind what was kind of records are we talking about here? Uh, that's when I started getting into uh, listening to Curtis Mayfield, uh, into Ennio Morricone. I mean, basically, I was listening to the source material of hip hop, the breaks, and and deconstructing how they created these compositions how they had how, why is it that those drums sound so good how you know why does the bass sound so mid-rangey and punchy uh mm. why don't people make music like this anymore but then when i play this kind of music for people they have the same reaction that i do and that kind of inspired my foundation to to make music with this patina Totally. And uh, that's when, to me, it's just that music was just, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dude, of, I'm, a, I'm a person of the hip-hop culture, but at that moment, I started to realize that I actually like that music better than hip-hop, and hip-hop led me to it. Wow. That's Final Battle. Part one, How, you know, it's a final battle, but that's part one of the final battle. Uh, when you think about the big superhero battle, that's not necessarily what you've been hearing in, in superhero movies the last few years. But look what mm. they look what look what you guys did with it. So, t- tell us about that piece a little bit. What you remember about it coming together? That was uh, something that that was probably one of the toughest parts of the score, actually. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. the fight scene we had to score. It's like a. a- 14 minutes like yeah well yeah it's like 14 minutes so it was just a lot of musical movements within you know you you can't have continue when you're scoring you don't generally when you especially for something like 14 minutes you don't score non-stop you have to um uh, take the the viewer with you so there's ups and downs and the music has to reflect those ups and downs in a way that doesn't expose what is about to happen so yeah. it, it was it was pretty difficult uh but we wanted to have a take on it that was unorthodox we didn't want to fall into the 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 general thunder shaking bass exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what like it totally that's what really jumped out at me listening to it and also just listening to it as a piece of music on like spotify it's like you're mm-hmm. we you going back to what you were saying before we are so used to as listeners to action movies with just certain canned things and like oh, okay this is the battle scene <laughs> this is what the yeah. battle scene sounds like <laughs> and hearing something that's so fresh and just so different is it just really changes the whole experience so much we, go ahead uh, well, one thing about this experience is that this is something that Ali and I have uh, always wanted to do uh, for something of this magnitude. And the reason why we were granted the authority to do it is because not only the creator, Cheo Coker, believed in us, but uh, Netflix and Marvel believed in our vision. And that inspired us and pushed us to 
to try to to really essentially dedicate nine months of our lives to just trying trying to create the best score ever for television. I mean, we dropped everything for this. Yeah, it, so it, it took he, over your lives, right? You didn't really anticipate absolutely. how much it would. I think you no, actually. I did. Okay. <laughs> I kept trying to tell. I kept trying to tell Adrian. I was like, yeah. I don't think you. It's okay. true because Adrian and he's he's done this before, and with Black Dynamite, not only you know scoring it but editing it, he has you know inside look as to what is uh, what is necessary to to get the job done. But for me, it was my first time, and I felt like that nothing else could exist, and. Um, mm. Adrian usually is like, oh, we can do it all. And he's usually like 99.9% right about that, you know, in life. But with this particular thing, at some point, it was funny. I don't remember when, but he just, mm-hmm. he said to me, yo, you're right. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything but this. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, man. So, um, but it was, it was a sacrifice and we both would do it all over again because mm-hmm. we, we knew the, 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 the type of impact that we wanted to have and in order to do that um you you have to have vision you have to have faith and belief and and having the support as he said of marvel and netflix was definitely a key component of that and so knowing after we submitted the first uh uh we, we submitted episode number two first in scoring and the feedback we got from both marvel and netflix let us know that we were in an environment that was going to allow us to to just take it to the heights musically and 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 be innovative against what is normally heard on television and so we committed you mentioned uh, Bernard Herman um Cottonmouth's theme um which uh which which we'll play in a second but that i think that one kind of showed that influence bernard herman i guess psycho and everything so was that uh was that was that someone you were thinking about in that that intense little piece of music well that is actually uh yes absolutely it's definitely analogous to a lot of the bernard herman but what the what the what really inspired that was how tarantino used uh oh. uh quincy jones ironside how it, it's the use of those synthesizers and you hear a lot of that kind of score and composition in a lot of old kung fu movies as well. Just wild, raging, octave-based synthesizers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was our, our nod to say, like, yo, Tarantino, what up, bro? Like, what we going to do? What's, what's cracking? That's for you. That's for you. So the other th- the other thing that's cool is the the way music infuses so many aspects of the show. Uh, and a brilliant little detail that that Chao did is is that Cottonmouth, the villain, is a frustrated musician. Uh, so there's these scenes of mm-hmm. him just cooling out with like a Fender Rhodes, I think, right? And just mm-hmm. and and you have to you have to establish that he actually is talented. So who played mm-hmm. that stuff <laughs> for, for real? Uh, that's that's that was uh. Me and Ali. There's one scene where we we brought in one of our good musician friends, Darian, Darian to play something. But uh, uh, on on most of those, it's, it's Ali and I playing the roads. And then uh, it was funny about those scenes is Mahershala, who plays Cottonmouth, would literally. Well, we had to create 
the the the, the piano uh, riffs right. and send it over because they would be shooting like in a day or two. So we had to create the riffs and then also video ourse- video self videotape ourselves playing it and send that as well. So Mahershal would have you know a couple hours just to kind of try to figure it out, and he did a hell of a job. He sure did because. It wasn't intentional to make it challenging, but we wanted it to be real. And we could have written something that was real easy for him to play on camera. But knowing uh, the the musicianship of his character, Mm -hmm. we really wanted the music to be authentic and challenging. And so... um, And and deliver some emotion, right? Yes, absolutely. And so Mahershala didn't back away from that. Um, and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now in volume, and we have a couple more minutes uh, with uh, the composers of the music of Luke Cage on Netflix. Um, guys, it seems like your partnership has to go forward from here, whether it's on season two, which I know everyone's asking about, but if I were you, I'd be holding out <laughs> <laughs> for Riz. Uh, but, we can but, help you negotiate <laughs> some of that. Yeah. Let's do it right now. You need us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I, I would imagine this has cemented you two a, a, as a team. I hope going forward, uh, you know, in addition to all the other stuff you'll be doing separately. Oh, I mean, we've already cemented, you yeah. know, but definitely um, going through this process, um, it just we we learn more about what we're able to do, and we're excited to do those things, you know, and together. And we have a whole lot of ideas um, and just trying to find the right, right outlets to uh, get them out. Um, and Adrian, has uh, has Ali played you the Tribe album? Um, no, actually. What? It's not really my friend. No, no we, heard, we, we've, we heard a lot of it when we were at Tips. Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. January, February. Probably, yeah, probably like January, February. It's great. It's it's, it's great to hear, um, you know, my my favorite hip hop group have new music. So it's it's a real it's it's a it's a really special thing because uh, I I study I've always studied why uh, my favorite artist fell off, mm. right? And Tribe never fell off. Mm, they were right. always great. So, right. um, it you know, in listening to it. I'm just in, in, you know, in my mind, just hoping that they don't fall off like Isaac Hayes did to me or Curtis Mayfield did to me. And these people are icons, you know. Yeah. And um. And it's and it's great. They did a good job. I mean, Ali, as as we wrap up, I mean, what was it like to try to craft a modern sound? Uh, and to try to live up to this is the kind of thing I, I end up asking reunited rock bands all the time. You know, like how do you live up to your old stuff? You know, so so how? I mean, what what was the, what was that challenge like? And especially in the face of of, of the tragedy that that's hanging over this album. Um, that's that's a challenging question to ask answer, and I'll just answer it this way: that because I was working on Luke Cage and in a concentrated way there was limitations on what I could contribute to the Tribe Called Quest record. Mm. And however, my major contribution was to inspire Fife to continue because at many different points, um, 
he wanted to do something different mm-hmm. and um i thought that both he and q-tip being in the room together um more so for their friendship surpasses anything that they could do in recording and i don't know why i felt that way and i continue to encourage him to to just deal with the discomforts of his traveling and having to be away from home in his condition um and I did not know that he wouldn't be here, you know? And yeah. so um, it's it could have gone a different way. I mean, I could have just said something different. I'm like, okay, go home. <laughs> yeah. You know? But, but so, we're so glad you did, but, right? Yeah. 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 And not just because, again, not because of the music, but because, I mean, everyone has seen the documentary and have seen, you know, the the challenges between everyone just brotherhood and um and they were able to spend so much time together yeah and at this period so the reward for everyone else is that there's an album and that's it for this episode of rolling stone music now thanks very much to our guests adrian young and ali shaheed muhammad Tune in to Sirius XM's volume every Friday at 1 p.m. for the live show. Subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now at rollingstone.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker, although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.